Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Lavroides. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at NixonFoundation.org. How did Richard Nixon make his improbable comeback for the presidency in 1968, 50 years ago, and what was it like to be on the inner workings of the campaign? There wasn't anyone as closely involved as Dwight Chapin, then-candidate Nixon's personal aide. Chapin went on to serve as President Nixon's appointment secretary and deputy assistant to the president. He's been at the center of some of the most monumental events during their Nixon presidency, including serving as acting director of protocol during the historic trip to China in 1972. He also oversaw the White House television office and presidential travel. Mr. Chapin, welcome. Nice to be with you, Jonathan. You got involved in politics at a very young age. Uh, How did you come to serve, uh, first serve, Mr. Nixon? I first served... uh, former Vice President Nixon, when he ran for governor in California. I needed a summer job, and my dad arranged for me to go in for an interview at the Nixon headquarters because dad knew I'd been interested in politics. I went into the headquarters and uh, met with Herb Kambach, and then he took me down the hallway, and I met uh, a young man by the name of Bob Haldeman, who was the campaign manager, and he hired me to be a field man. So I ran uh, the field operations for Ventura County, Santa Barbara County, and the San Fernando Valley part of Los Angeles County, and basically went around, set up headquarters and so forth. In that process, uh, of course, I got the opportunity to meet Mr. Nixon and uh, meet some of the other key players that would be with him, had been with him uh, in the White House, and then would be with him uh, in future campaigns like Rosemary Woods, John Ehrlichman, and some others. When did you decide that you? Um, when did you decide that you wanted more? You had worked on the '62 campaign. Uh, how did you get involved six years later when the president or when the vice president decided to run in 1968? Well, actually, uh, I got involved in 1968, but I was involved in 1964 uh, when the. Can- the convention was held in San Francisco, and Bob Haldeman took me there, and I served as Mr. Nixon's aide up there in San Francisco for that convention. Uh, then, subsequent to that, I moved to New York, and when I got to New York, uh, I, I contacted Rosemary Woods in Mr. Nixon's office and told her I would be willing to volunteer to help out however possible. And but it turned out that I would go in the evenings after work at J. Walter Thompson, my the advertising agency where I was employed, I would go take the subway down to Wall Street, go to the law firm where Nixon was working, and I would answer correspondence. And the person kind of directing me was Mrs. Nixon. So Mrs. Nixon really got a chance to know me. Uh, meanwhile, Mr. Nixon's around, and one thing led to the another, and they came to the conclusion that I would be an ideal candidate to be his personal aide for the 68 campaign. This was um, a time of uh, turmoil in America, the mid-1960s, especially 1968. Um, From your point of view as a young man in in America, uh, could you give us a little, uh, a little bit of your perspective on the times? Yes, it was a very turbulent time. I mean, uh, people think it's kind of, things are at wit's end currently, 
I mean, 1968 was unbelievable. We had the two assassinations. We had riots. We had Vietnam going. I mean, it was uh, Americans were concerned. Uh, they wanted, they needed some stability, and uh, they wanted, they wanted direction for the country. And so it was. It turned out to be just the opportune moment for Mr. Nixon. I mean, he had his experience in uh, Congress in both the House and in the Senate. He had been vice president under Eisenhower for eight years. He had also had the advantage of being defeated. And I say advantage because it gave him a chance to think about issues and things and then run again eight years later. So he, he, he came onto the scene in 1968 as a, a person that everyone was looking to for some answers and to give to give the country direction, so it was it was a turbulent time. I viewed it that way. Everybody, I think, viewed it that way. And lo and behold, it worked out perfectly for Mr. Nixon. Did you uh, at the time? Did you believe he could win? I uh, am a very optimistic person. I never believed he, he wouldn't win. Uh, I always thought he would win, and uh, but. I, I'm, I thought he was going to win in 1962 when he ran for governor, so that shows you that my judgment's a little prejudiced when it comes to Mr. Nixon. <clears throat> in his campaign chronicle, uh, The Making of a President in 1968, uh, Theodore White wrote that uh, three young young aides accompanied uh, Mr. Nixon from Manhattan to New, York, New Hampshire for the first uh, primary that year. Um, it was Patrick Buchanan, uh, Ray Price, and yourself, Dwight Chapin. Um, White says, quote, amateurs all completely inexperienced in presidential politics. Um, was this true, and how did you all um, uh, conceive of a formidable campaign operation that uh, won that year? Well, it was surely true. Neither, none of us, uh, Ray, Pat, or myself, had ever been in a presidential campaign before. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's in, interesting to say Nixon wanted to use young people. I mean, he had a lot of people on the on his staff or, and in politics that, at the local and state level that had never been in politics before, and he always believed in bringing in new blood. He he, he would tell me that to, to always have in mind that politics is the art of inclusion, and he, he would keep around in various slots or on committees or whatever it might be, people that had been with him in prior campaigns. But the name of the game was to add to the add to the numbers and particularly to add the energy that came from having young people around. So uh, yes, we were we were amateurs, but uh <clears throat> we were following a plan and we knew what our assignments were and we had been tested in the months coming up to the New Hampshire primary. Could you Give me an idea, or give us an idea of the um, campaign uh, framework. Um, what were the roles of the uh, of John Mitchell, for example, who was um, considered very close to the president, uh, Bob Haldeman, and uh, John Ehrlichman on the campaign, who would uh, go on to become the uh, chief of staff and the chief domestic advisor uh, for the president? How were how, how the roles broken up during the 1968 campaign? 
Yes, well, <clears throat> Bob Haldeman became chief of staff. And John Ehrlichman was the head of the domestic council later on when we got to the White House. But in during the campaign itself, um, Nixon made made some very critical decisions early on. In 1960, he had tried to hold all the reins uh, of the campaign in his, in his hand and run everything. He realized as he approached 1968 the m- mistakes that he had made in 60. And so he took the campaign and he really delegated. He delegated all the political operation uh, and to include the oversight of the financial uh, side of things to John Mitchell. And Mitchell was a very strong man. He he, he knew how to to run an organization. He had the political instincts that were necessary. So he took over all the political. Bob Haldeman ran the candidate. He ran everything that had to do with making sure that Mr. Nixon stayed on track, that he had all of the material that he needed from the speechwriters, uh, that the tour operation ran right, uh, the advanced men, on and on. Everything that was that was a part of that uh, operation that was on the airplane and, and as we went around the campaign, Bob was responsible for. And reporting to Bob was John Ehrlichman, who was the tour manager. <clears throat> now, both Haldeman and John Ehrlichman had been advanced men back in 1960, and then in 1962, Haldeman had managed that campaign for Nixon out in California. And John Ehrlichman had come to that campaign in 1962 and ran the advance men. So everybody, everybody that was in the operation had uh, the confidence of Mr. Nixon, and he, he, in 1968, really delegated it out. As the president's personal aide, you had uh, total access to him. Um, Bob Haldeman believed um, that the most important thing um, to the president was his time. Uh, in 1967, he wrote a memo to uh, Richard Nixon saying that, that, that the time has come for political campaigning, its techniques and strategies to move out of the dark ages and into the brave new world of the omnipresent eye. Um, how did the Nixon campaign indeed embrace um, a new style of campaigning? Uh, that's, very, that's very important. Uh, Bob's memorandum really set the tone for uh, the whole 68 effort. Uh, he made the point to Mr. Nixon that he, Mr. Nixon could go around the country and campaign that, that through rallies and in-person type meetings, maybe, maybe he would reach during the campaign upwards of a million people. But on the evening news, every night he was reaching he could reach several millions of people. And that what really mattered was television. And the name of the game was to take and to do one, sometimes two, but usually one major thing a day that would be the perfect thing for national television. We would do local type activities. So there was an ongoing campaign. But in terms of getting... material for television on a certain issue or something to do one key event a day and to take the slug of time that was left over from uh, from not doing events to use that time as what Bob labeled thinking time. 
And we, we actually took this concept right on into the White House when Nixon became president. And, and because he, Nixon loved the idea of having the time to prepare, to, to think things through, to know how he was going to position himself in terms of a campaign to rebut, you know, Vice President Humphrey or whatever it might be. He, he had the thinking, the time to really think things through. So Bob's, Bob's memo was critical in terms of kind of giving us a map for how to campaign in 1968. And television played a huge role in the campaign as well. It allowed the president to, uh, I, I, guess, I assume it would allow, it would allow candidate Nixon to have the time to, um, you know, write his speeches and study and use the, the communication of television to really magnify his message. Uh, could, could you tell us a little bit how television uh, played a role in 1968? Yes, Teddy White makes a point in his book, The Making of a President, 1968, uh, that in 1960, Nixon really, after the, after the first debate, he became very leery of television. I mean, he did not do well on uh, in that debate, mainly because of television and how he looked. At least that was the impression that came across to the American public. In 1968, in January of that year, uh, Nixon happened to be in Philadelphia, and he met a, a young man for the first time. It happened to be on January 9th, which was Nixon's birthday. Uh, he was appearing on the Mike Douglas show, and the producer was a young man by the name of Roger Ailes. And Roger said to Nixon, uh, Sir, you have to figure out how you're going to make television your friend. And Nixon says, tell me more about this. And Roger described to him what he felt Nixon had to do in terms of his use of television. And Nixon bought into that 100%. Uh, and he, he really was a master of television in 1968. He did telethons. He did what we called Man in the Arena, where he would stand at a stand-up microphone and answer questions either from a panel of local media or a mixed panel of media and, and citizens. Uh, he, he would give speeches uh, that were televised uh, where he would use absolutely no notes, and, and, the, and people became aware of his the depth of his uh, understanding of not only foreign policy but domestic affairs and so forth, and he, and it was television that carried that message for him, and it carried it in in a, in a very effective way. Another another point is that he decided in 1968 not to debate. So mo when most people think of presidential usage of television these days, they they think in terms of the debates or in terms of Nixon, they think of debating when he debated Jack Kennedy. But in 1968, he he used television by not debating. At the president's side, um, you were with him for several monumental uh, events. I mean, this is a period of time where, um, you know, there was the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, there was the assassination of uh, Bobby Kennedy. It was a very tumultuous time, as we as as we discussed. Could could you discuss a little bit about um, some of the monumental um, periods of time with with the candidate uh, Nixon? Surely, um, the 
one of the things that steps out, jumps out in my mind is the um, Martin Luther King funeral. Uh, when Mr. Nixon went down, he, he went down and met privately with Mrs. King uh, at the family home in Atlanta. And he met with the children. And then we went over to Dr. King Sr.'s home. And I had not not known all the history, but going back into the early vice presidential years and so forth, Mr. Nixon had become very good friends with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. And when we went over to Martin Luther King Sr.'s home, the house was filled with friends and so forth. We walked through the front door and Mr. Nixon spotted uh, Dr. King's father over uh, on the other side of the room and, and went over and he, the, the two men hugged one another. It was this poignant moment. Uh, they, they're hugging and, and Dr. King is kind of patting Mr. Nixon on the back and uh, like two old, old friends. Uh, and I don't know, that just stuck in my mind as, as something that uh, spoke volumes about about Mr. Nixon and about the Kings. And so that that's one episode. <clears throat> Another uh, poignant moment that I have from the campaign is when uh, Mr. Nixon met with Hubert Humphrey and at the end of the, at the very end, after the election uh, in Florida, it had been eight years earlier that Nixon had flown down and paid his respects to Jack Kennedy, who had just been elected president. And this time the tables were turned and Humphrey was flying down to meet with Nixon. And when he got down there, they were taken uh, up into a army barracks. Um, I happened to be the person that took him up, up there. Uh, the secret service had made sure no one was in the room and they were standing outside the two doors that led into the room. The men went in and Mr. Nixon had told me, he said, let, come, come get me in about, uh, let us have about 10 minutes. So I went in after 10 minutes and he waved me off and I went back again 10 minutes later and he waved me off the third time I went in. And the, the two men were there with their arms around each other's shoulders. Nixon was kind of patting Hubert's uh, shoulder with his arm and hand and um, Hubert was crying. He was sobbing and, and he, he was saying, Dick, he said, you know, I, we want to do whatever we can to help you and help the country. And, uh, Mr. The president elect, Mr. Nixon was saying, Hubert, you know, you and Muriel go take some time off and I'll be in touch and, uh, so forth. But it, here, here were these two warriors who had, battled each other and here is this moment of, of solitude where they they Nixon is comforting Hubert who is just undone and uh, it was something that that I got to witness I was the only person the other person in that room I got to witness this and I and I uh, it, it had a, a pro profound effect on me in terms of what, what politics can be like and what these two warriors, how they came together at the end. Uh, you mentioned warriors. Um, 
you know, the Democratic Humphrey had a challenging campaign. Um, the Democratic Party virtually split after the um, after their convention in Chicago. Being with President Nixon was there was campaigning difficult during um, such a hostile social and political climate. Yes, <clears throat> yes, campaigning campaigning is always difficult. And the environment of '68 made it even more so. And and we had uh, President Johnson. I mean, he he pulled out of the race because of Vietnam. Uh, he was upset with Humphrey, who he felt was not uh, towing the line that the administration wanted. Uh, and, and he Humphrey was being pushed to the left. Uh, and, and Johnson didn't like that. Nixon was getting into the fray and, and backing. He was, he was doing his best at staying next to Johnson and supporting the president. And uh, all of it was working quite nicely up until uh, around the 1st of October when Humphrey made a, a key decision to move off on uh, and kind of separate himself from Johnson more so than he had previously done. And I think Johnson had a, a, a real problem with accepting with what Humphrey did. Uh, Nixon called Johnson and said, you know, I've heard what Humphrey's done, uh, but I want you to know I'm still back in the administration. And so Johnson Johnson's kind of trying to figure out what to do, but Nixon was very, very leery of him all the way through the campaign. Uh, and then toward the end, uh, Johnson more and more cast his, uh, approval towards Humphrey and had the campaign gone on for another two or three weeks, it's conceivable that Humphrey would have pulled even and passed Nixon in the polls and won the election. But fortunately the, uh, election was held when it was and, uh, Nixon won. Backing up for just a moment, um, you were with the president at the convention in uh, in Miami in early August of 1968 um, when he gives that uh, acceptance speech. Um, could you describe the the scene um, at the convention in Miami? People were spellbound. I, Nixon. I think it's important to 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 know that uh, Mr. Nixon he went to Montauk out on the end of Long Island uh, and spent the week prior to the convention uh, looking at his notes, uh, getting ideas from some of the speechwriting talent that he had on staff. But basically he, he wrote his own, his own speech and uh, the country had gone through so much. And, and when Nixon got up there on the podium and, 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 said, and I, I can't remember the exact words, but it was basically, you know, have we come this far for all of this? Meaning, you know, assassinations, riots, all this disruption, the Vietnam War. Have we come this far to have ha- have a nation that is this uh, divided? And and it, I, it, it had an incredible impact. Uh, not only in the hall and and uh, among all of the delegates, but across the nation, uh, the 
you know, and and of course the the country was tuned in as it always is for these acceptance speeches. It was a very very powerful speech that Nixon gave, and uh, any of the the people that study presidential speeches, it's one of the great uh, acceptance speeches of all time. You had mentioned that it was a very very close election. Um... Alabama Governor uh, George Wallace is running a, a strong campaign uh, in the South. Um, could you describe election night? And um, you were with the president um, or the future president. Uh, what was his reaction um, to the whole night and, and upon victory? Right. Well, <clears throat> the uh, election night, everybody was kind of on pins and needles. Humphrey had been closing in. Um, but uh, Mr. Nixon himself uh, remained incredibly calm. He, there's a Quaker tradition, and he was a Quaker, of peace at the center, and, and he was practicing that, I think. Uh, he, he maintained a very centered, a very calm approach to the whole evening. He, he spent time with the staff. Uh, he, he went down, spent time with the family. The, the family had its own suite, uh, Mrs. Nixon and the two daughters. And then uh, Mr. Nixon was in the presidential suite where uh, where we had Bob Haldeman, John Mitchell, John Ehrlichman, myself, Larry Higby. Uh, and, and we were. Just, it was just very, uh, kept to a very small group because that's what uh, Mr. Nixon wanted. Uh, <clears throat> but he made a lot of phone calls. He uh, invited people to come into the suite to meet with him, Pat Buchanan, for example, Ray Price, uh, a number of others uh, would would pop in and out. But for the most part, uh, as the evening wore on, and, and it was a very uh, suspenseful evening. I mean, it went, he, he never realized or never knew that he won, until the next morning, uh, after the after the sun had come up, uh, ABC checked him off on, and I was uh, watching the television in the main part of the suite. I went into the bedroom immediately, and said, "Sir, uh, ABC just declared you the winner. You're the you're the next president." And he he kind of jumped out of bed. He was he was propped up in bed, had a briefcase on his lap. He jumps up. Uh, hits the floor and he's in his bathrobe and he has on uh, uh, a t-shirt and slacks under the bad bathrobe, but he's got on a bathrobe. He goes into the uh, uh, main part of the suite and looks at the TV and sees that uh, he's been declared the winner and he takes off down the hallway to talk with Mrs. Nixon and the girls and then comes back uh, to the suite uh, five or 10 minutes later and uh, throws his arms around John Mitchell and says, John, we're going to go to Florida and get this government put together. And uh, uh, John Mitchell said, congratulations, Mr. President-elect. And I'll never forget that because it was the first time I ever heard anyone refer to a president as Mr. President-elect. Why do you think um, uh, historians and people in general should study the 1968 election? Well, I think it's a classic uh, in terms of um, the the planning that went into it, the, 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 the 
strategic thought that went into how we, how are we going to run this campaign. Um, and through highs and lows, all of the trials and tribulations that you've mentioned in terms of the temper of the times and uh, uh, the disasters that happened, uh, Nixon stuck to his plan. And the great lesson uh, from the 1968 campaign is, is to have the ability to absorb the shocks of various things that come along that are unexpected because they, they always happen, while at the same time maintaining uh, the, the basic plan structure that you have and not wavering from it. And uh, Nixon, was he was a master at that. Our guest today is Dwight Chapin, personal aide, appointment secretary, and deputy assistant to President Nixon. Our topic was the inner workings of the 1968 presidential campaign. Mr. Chapin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. This is Jonathan Mavroida signing off.